get started, open with prayer. So Lord, we just thank you for your abiding love. Your word says that when more than one of us are together, that you're with us, so we know you're here, and we just thank you for that. We ask that uh, your will would be done here today. I pray, Father, that anything that I would say that would not be of you would just fall to the ground and die. But anything that is of you, Father, I pray it would take root in the hearts of those who have ears to hear, and that it would bear fruit in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you all for coming. It's an honor to get to speak and have a dear friend and brother. I just don't know why I'm just so emotional with you these days, but uh, I, I forgive you for all you've done to me. No. <laughs> no, uh, Duet is, uh, well, I've been at my job for 16 years, and uh, he was there when I got there, and I think I was like employee 76 or something. And uh, so we had our company, first time ever, we shut our business down and had a company-wide meeting yesterday. So there were 420-something people there, and then there was another 70 that were not. And uh, so we did our business presentation, and then we have our awards. And we give out Outstanding Achievement and Rising Star and President Awards. And then we give out the Loyalty Award, which is given out to employees that have demonstrated over long periods of time consistency and character and loyalty to the company. And I started out that part of the, that award by saying, you know, I'm going to right a wrong here because uh, we had not given that award to DeWitt. He's our vice president of our operations group. And uh, he was the number one employee. He was the first employee that our owner hired uh, 30 years ago so or 31 years ago. So... Uh, I was blessed to do that. Of course, you won every other award we have, too, but uh, definitely it's a blessing to have you. And I guess the best thing about DeWitt is he's just a rock and a brother within our company, and everybody knows they can go to him for prayer, help. and So, anyway, enough of that. So, uh, if I have a title for this lesson, it's uh, Won't You Be My Love? And... Um, there's a sign-up sheet that's going around. You could put your information on there because I wanted to follow up with everybody after we've had the lesson to kind of see what your thoughts are on it. But, um, you know, there's. I, I think that we're all unique. God created us all uniquely. And He did that because He wants to use us all in different ways. We all, I don't know, I think we all have children as I look around here. Every one of us knows that our children are different. We love them all just as much, but they're all different. And that's how God sees us. We're children of God, but he's equipped us all differently. So the purpose of the lesson today is to talk a little bit about how we are unique and come to an understanding, or at least a better understanding, of what it is that God wants to use us to do. And the way that we'll go about doing that is through some teaching. And then we have a gifting test that Neil's agreed to help us administer. I think it takes about 20 minutes. It's real simple. It's just a series of questions. You answer them. And based on the results of your answer with a key, you can kind of see, okay, well, this, this is my gifting. And uh, so that, that's how the class will unfold. Totally interactive. Interrupt me. Correct me at any time. And, uh, anytime? 
Sir? Anytime. Anytime. We printed 17 of these, and there's 15 of us at the table, and some of us don't have it. Does anybody have a doubled up note? Yeah. Two. I've got here's some extra ones that you. Oh, okay. There we go. Everybody who wants to read. You will need one when we take the test. There was one on the clipboard. How many pens we need? Okay, so we're different from each other, and definitely we're different from women. So I wanted to tell a story. I told this yesterday at work. Um, I was in New York recently. I was walking down the street and I saw this building and there was a line of women outside of it. And I was walking by, this one woman comes storming out. She's angry, bumps into me. And it's like, well, what's, what's the matter? What, what are you? She said, I am so upset. I can't believe this happened. What, you, what happened? She said, oh, this building here, this is a husband shopping building. You can come here and shop for a husband. I said, oh, well, how does that work? She said, well... You go into the building, and there's a sign that gives you these instructions. It's five stories. You can pick a husband when you uh, from any floor, but the rule is that once you decide you're going to go into a floor, you have to pick a husband from that floor. You can't go to any other floor. And once you go past a floor, you can't go back down. So you go to floor one, and there's a door on the front of it that says, These men have jobs. She said, "That's you know, I, I would want a husband that worked, but I thought, well, I wonder what is on the next floor. So she goes up to the second floor. Said, these men have jobs and love children. It's like, that's okay, those are good qualities, but, you know, I, I, I think I want more. She goes to the third floor. Said, this floor has men with jobs, loves children, and is good looking. Like, that's... That's really good. I think I'm going to see. I'm going to go up one more floor. She goes up to the fourth floor, and it says, "This floor has men with jobs, love children. They're extremely good-looking, and are very romantic." So she said she paused there for a long time, thought about it, and then said, "I'm going to go up one more floor." She goes up to the fifth floor, and the sign read, "There are no men on this floor." No men exist that would be acceptable to you. So do not get married. Please exit the building. (laughs) Across the street, there's a wife's store. You go into the wife's store, and on the first floor, there's a sign that says, Women on this floor are aggressively romantic. Women on this floor are aggressively romantic. You go to the second floor, and it says, the women on this floor are aggressively romantic and love to watch football. Nobody knows what's on any of the other floors because no man has ever gone past the second floor. <laughs> so we are different. We're different from each other and we are definitely different from our wives. I want to play a song for you. and um, I'm going to play it again later. But... When I play this song this first time, I want you to just relax, close your eyes, and just listen to the words, okay?
great song. <clears throat> How many of y'all have heard that before? <clears throat> okay, it's by Mercy Me. And uh, my family makes fun of me all the time because I'll find a song that speaks to me and I just play it over and over and over. Remember, you called a lesson one time, Alan, it was based on the story about the old guy who Jesus' blood never fell me yet. And I played that song. I'd listen to it going to work, coming home, going to work. Just the version of the old guy. And my, my daughter called me. She's like, what are you... You listen to that song, weren't you? You listen to it all the way to work on it. Yeah, that's right. So I've been listening to this song for months and uh, wondering, okay, it'll speak to me. And usually there's something that comes out of it. You know, I'll get to deliver a word or it's something dealing with something in my life. So, you know, when I was asked to teach this, uh, that song was what I'd been listening to all that time preparing me to teach this because... It's inspiring. It's an inspiring song. It inspired me every time I hear it. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to show God's love. But it's one thing to be inspired, and it's another thing to be inspired and act upon it. Um, to act, to act upon being inspired and not have a plan, it's often a guarantee you're going to fail, because you can be inspired just by your emotion. Uh, to want to do something but if you don't have a plan for how you're going to do it very often you don't succeed at it I see that in business uh, you know we we have some pretty strong personalities in our company very bright people but they're very emotional and will make a decision out of emotion and then you end up suffering the consequences for it sometimes I'm all for being emotional. I cry at the drop of a hat. and I have a problem with anger, not near like what I used to, but uh, I'm an emotional guy. Um, When I think about being inspired, I think about uh, a general leading his troops on the battle, you know, and giving them that big speech. Remember the movie George Patton? And... um, I think of the movie Gladiator. I love that movie. Right before, at the beginning scene when they're fixing to go into battle and he's on this horse and he's challenging, challenging them. Um, I think about John F. Kennedy's speech, inaugural speech. You know, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country and what came of that, out of that, the Peace Corps, uh, a number of other service organizations. Um, but in all those cases, they succeeded because in the Gladiator movie, he gave this emotional speech and they went into battle, but they had a plan for battle. Same thing with JFK when he gave his inaugural speech. He already had laid a plan for, okay, when this is how people are going to serve this country. Um, a bad example of being inspired and, and acting upon it or not knowing how to act is when I was in high school. I think I've told several of you this. I wasn't in a big school. I played all the sports, not because I was such a good athlete, but there just wasn't that many to compete against to be on the team. But uh, our basketball coach my sophomore year was a football coach. But he, okay, you're coaching the basketball team. He knew nothing about basketball. We had four sophomores and a junior. That was our starting five. So we'd go out to play, and we had some talent, but we were young and didn't have a coach, and we'd get our brains beat out. 
and at halftime we'd come in and he'd give us this inspiring speech and we'd go back out there and ask each other, okay, sir, what are we going to do different? You know? <laughs> we wouldn't do anything different. We'd end up getting beat just as bad the second half as we did the first half. So to be inspired and not have a plan of action, uh, as I said, usually does not succeed. So what we want to get out of today is, one, I, I do hope that you're inspired by what we talk about and what we listen. And we're going to come back to the song in a minute. But I want you to leave here with some idea of your plan on how you're going to act upon having been inspired or encouraged or what you've learned. So that that's really the main goal. But before uh, I go back to this song, I need to lay some foundational uh, material or, or my beliefs. And again, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong in any way. I'm speaking to you guys as members of our church, DeWitt. I'm speaking to you as a brother. I know you're a very active member in your, your church, so uh, you can apply what I'm saying about our church to yours. Um, but And I'm also speaking from the assumption, whether it's right or not, you'll have to judge that, but I'm speaking from the assumption that you believe that you were called to serve and that you're in this church because you believe God has placed you here. Because that's a key assumption I'm making when we wrap this up uh, is that you're in this church because God has placed you here. So I'm making that assumption. So I'll start out and make a statement that some people might consider bold. Nobody in here will, but... There are a lot of different beliefs out there. But I believe that God is three parts. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk a little bit about each one of them. But when I'll say this, and I'll say it again later. When I say the Holy Spirit, I'm referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. Just like I don't refer to God as it, and I don't refer to Jesus Christ as it, I don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It's a living part of God. So that's the Holy Spirit I'm talking about today. So let's, I want to reinforce the importance that there are three parts of God. Um, if I had an egg and I had one and I walked out and forgot it, an egg to me is the best example of trying to show something that has three parts, but it's really one thing. If I had my egg, <laughs> you would see an egg. And I would crack it and open it up and put it in a bowl and pass it around. And you would see the white of the egg and you would see the yolk of the egg. All at part of the egg, but each different in its own way. But all an egg. The shell, the white of the egg, and the yolk of the egg. Man is three parts. Alan, what are the three parts of man? Body, soul, and spirit. Can you maybe tell the difference? I was going to ask you ahead of time to do this, but I know you know it. I've heard it all. Well, when Jesus returns, our body will be replaced. When we're saved, our spirits are reborn because we're spiritually dead until we're saved. And as we grow spiritually, our minds are, or our souls are being renewed. So fine. body, soul, and spirit. We're three-part thing. So let's talk a little bit about God, the person of God. 
I think of God as God the Father, God the Creator. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. I think we're all familiar with Genesis. God is a Creator. He created the world. In Genesis 1-26 and 27, if you all know that by heart and can quote it, that's great. This is 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is a creator. God the Father is a creator. That's, that's how I think of God. And we're going to talk about gifts today. So when I think about God the Father and the gift that He gave me, He gave me the gift of life. He created me. He gave me the gift of life. Just like when you and your wife had children, that was a gift. The life of your child. God, it was a gift for God to give you that child. And God gave the gift of life to that child. So when I think of the three parts of God and I think of God the Creator, I think about God the Father. He created me. He knows me like no one knows me. I don't think either that God, when He created us, it's not we're not a science project. I mean, He didn't just create us and, okay, let me watch and see what's going to happen with Jeff Ferris. Um, he had a plan for my life. I think he has a plan for each one of your lives. And John, Jeremiah 29.11. If you have your Bible want to turn there, there's a couple of scriptures we're going to read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, that's, this is probably, I have lots of favorite verses, but this is, I have this in my house. I have this at work. Um, I know God is talking to his people at the time, but I, I, this scripture fully applies to us. I believe that with all my heart that God has a plan for us. Look back to Jeremiah 10. Hold your finger there on 29. If you go back to Jeremiah 10, this is kind of cool. Turn Bible pages. I mean, for good reasons, we have PowerPoints and the scriptures are up there so we don't flip to them. But I used to be. I have some good memories I have of going to church and hearing people rustle through the Bible trying to follow the pastor. You don't hear that anymore because of the PowerPoints. So Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 29. 
Josh, you want to read that? Oh, no, that's not right. One stop to 25. Okay, how about Jeremiah? I don't know. Let me look at it real quick. I just typed it wrong. It's the one that starts out. Uh, I know that the way of man is not... 23. 23, okay. So read 23. I know, Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Okay. So, they kind of complement each other. They do. They dovetail on each other. The first scripture we've read, and let's turn back to that one because I want to read some more scripture there. Uh, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you. The scripture we just read uh, said that man does not know his way. So if we look at uh, 29, I'll read that again. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope to give you a future and a hope we have hope we have future God has a plan for us and I can testify <laughs> in front of you that I know the frustration of trying to live your life when it's outside of God's will I know what it's like to try and do it on your own. Uh, we see there's, and I don't. When I call people's names out in the world, I'm not saying I know them, so I'm not passing judgment on them. I'm just, if you look at there are, but I know there are a lot of people in this world that have been successful according to the world standards that they don't serve God. I mean, clearly everybody that God creates has some gift and some talent, and they have the intellect to use the gifts and talents that God has given them. And they can see the fruits of their labor. I don't know if Bill Gates is a Christian or not. But if he weren't, he'd be a good example of someone that has used gifts and talents to grow a company. And he's one of the wealthiest men in the world. He gives huge amounts of money away. I've never seen that he's given any money away in the name of the Lord or to some Christian foundation to promote Christ he may very well do that but um, I know that from my own personal experience that when I've tried to map out my own plan and go about my own way how frustrating that is Uh, have I had successes when I've done that? yeah sure if I have but being a believer there is just this emptiness and lack of fulfillment that you don't have um, if you're following Christ and you're doing things and it's not in His will. And that's, I think that's why you see people that are, according to the world standards, they should be so happy. Look at everything they've got. Uh, and they're not. I know I have a friend. I consider him a good friend. That's just He's one of the most miserable people that I know. He would not tell you that. I've asked him before one time if he'd change anything in his life. And he said, absolutely. Oh, absolutely not. I would not change one thing in my life. And I know 
that I've seen the devastation and destruction in his path or in his past because of some of the things that he's done. He's human. Um, he makes mistakes, but he's not led by God. He doesn't seek God's will. So, I don't want to dwell on this too much. I probably already have, but I, I just want to be sure that you get this foundational piece of what we're talking about today, which is God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you in this church. If you're here because God placed you here, then he's got something for you to do here. So God the Father, we talked about that. So what happened when he created man and woman in his image? What happened after they were there for a period of time? They sinned. Sin came into the world. Um, if they had not sinned, we wouldn't have needed a Savior. So, Christ never would have come to the earth if Adam and Eve had not sinned. So, we wouldn't have seen that person of Christ. Of, of, we wouldn't have seen that person of God here on earth had there not been sin. But since there was sin, God's solution for that was to reconcile man back to him we needed a savior so he sent his son Jesus Christ the second part of God that we want to talk about so when I think of the son of God Christ the son of God there's a lot of scriptures about the son of God being with God from the beginning if we turn to John 1 1 it talks about Christ was the word the word was with God in the beginning there's all kinds of scriptures and I'm not going to take the time to go to them that support that belief that Jesus was up there with God all along and when man sinned and needed to be reconciled that's when Jesus came to the earth now when Jesus came to the earth there's many things that he accomplished and we could go to scripture after scripture to, to talk about what did Jesus accomplish when he came to the earth but I just want to talk about a few of them right now. The first one is salvation. As a result of Christ coming to the earth, we now have salvation. We are reconciled with God if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Uh, I know all of you well enough to know that everyone in here is saved, which is, that's cool. Because less and less am I around groups of people where that's the case. Um, I, it's it's not unsettling and I know that what we talk about won't go out of this room but it, it at times I get bothered by the number of people that we have working for us in India it just grows and grows and there's good reason for it they're extremely good workers extremely smart and you, you never have to ask them to work late. You don't have to, hey, can you work this weekend? Whatever they have to do, they will do. They want to stay over here. They want our lifestyle. They, they want what we have. And they know to do it, they have to do better than the co-workers that are not from India. So, 
but it bothers me because I'm around because I know they don't believe anything at all like what I believe. Now, Josh, he he's like this is great because now I don't have to go over to India to preach the gospel to these people. They're coming to me to hear the gospel, and you know you were answered prayer coming to our company. And but I I guess the point is more and more you are around unbelievers, um, and I think that. God does put them in our life for that that reason. So when we are saved, we get eternal life, um, salvation. We're born into the family. Ephesians one one five says, "Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus." I mean, we actually become a member of. God's family. We're one of His children. Uh, that, that's a, not only do we get saved, we become a member of God's family. And there's there's a lot to be said. When you birth a child, I mean, they're yours. You, you most of the time you plan them, not always, but either either way, they're gifts. But I'm always moved by people who are act. They act upon. I need to give this child. A home, and they adopt them into their family. My brother did that, and uh, at a late age in life, and it's just—I was just amazed that he and his wife had the love to do that. They rescued this kid, and I know other people would have done that. And as much as that amazes me, I'm just as amazed that God would adopt me into His family. I mean, when you think about it, it's an unbelief. There's no greater act of love than that. So that is one of the things that we get as a result of Christ coming to uh, to earth. I need two volunteers. You two guys, y'all are right there. Okay. Another thing that we get, and there's some of y'all come up here. There's several things, other things that we get, and we can't go over all of them. But uh, I'm convinced that three of the things, two of the things that we get. Not understanding that they're gifts from God, that hey, this is something that we get, it comes with our salvation, that not fully understanding those two things prevent us from serving God the way that we are called to serving. Um, so I want to reference one scripture, 1 Timothy 1 2. Uh, Greg, you, you can find that really quick if you want to read that. First uh, Timothy, chapter one, verse two. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace and mercy and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. If we read Second Timothy one and two, it says grace and mercy. Titus one and four, grace and mercy. Second John one and three, grace and mercy, grace and mercy and peace. Grace and mercy come with being Christians, and if we don't understand the difference between the two, because I often hear people say them together as if they're the same, and they're totally different. So to illustrate that, here's me. You need mercy, and you are grace. So. I'm not a Christian. This is me. 
Mercy, when I become a Christian, is what I get. It's a gift that I receive. It's a gift I receive for something that I didn't. Wait, I want to be sure I get this right. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Okay? Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. So, nothing stands between us and what we deserve but mercy. And when we become Christians, we get mercy. We have mercy standing between us and what we deserve. But we also have all these promises as Christians that are afforded us, not because we deserve them, or because of how special and great we are, but because when we become Christians, we get grace. And grace gets us all those things that we don't deserve. Grace, mercy, are two things that we get thanks to. Those are two things that we get as Christians, and we need to keep those in mind as we talk about serving God, because... I'm convinced a lot of times people don't serve God because they don't feel like they're worthy enough. You want a good lesson on that? Get Alan's tape from last Sunday. Great. About the love of God. Nothing in your past should keep you from serving God. If if God, if you were going to apply for work at our company, you're going to fill out a job application. And you would have your name and your address. Uh, we can't ask your age, but it would it'd be nice to know sometimes. Uh, we can't ask about your health. We can ask if you're male or female. But, you know, when you sign up to work for God, you don't ask any of that. On our application, there's a place that you check and comment on whether you've ever been convicted or anything. Uh, so if we run a background check and find that hey you lie on your application we don't really want to hire any liars just because someone checks that yeah I've been in trouble with the law I've been convicted that doesn't automatically dismiss them from consideration it's something that you have to talk to them about but as servants of God as laborers in God's still there's nothing that disqualifies you there's he doesn't need to know your name. He already knows your name. You're filling an application in deep blank. He doesn't need your address. He knows where you live. He doesn't need your phone number. He doesn't know, need to know how old you are. He created you. He knows exactly to the second. He knows how many hair are on the top of your head. So, mercy. You've got to understand that mercy comes with being a Christian. Because that's what allows you to not look back and disqualify yourself from serving God. It's in the past. It's under the blood of Jesus. When you mess up, you just, hey, forgive me, Lord. In the blood, for, see me through the blood of Jesus. Forgive me for what I've done. And it's behind you. Mercy. Grace. Grace is important for you to understand grace because when you go to serve God, I hear people talk negatively about themselves and serving God. It's like, well, I'm not worthy enough for this. I'm not worthy. Oh, you know, I, I can't do that. That's not true. For you to say you're not, for you to say you're not qualified or say you're not worthy for this, then you, you really are 
in my mind, insulting Christ. Because you're saying, oh yeah, he's, Christ was good enough to die for all of that. But this over here, no, he, that's such a bad thing. I can't be forgiven for that. There is no sin that God can't forgive you for. And you don't disqualify yourself with your past by things you've done in the past. You don't lose the gifts and talents that God has given you. You still have them. You still have them. And grace. Mercy and grace. Gifts from God that you don't need to lose sight of. So Christ. We talked about the Father. We talked about the Son. So, you know, I've, I read, and I've read it before, John chapter 17. Um, let's turn there. It's, I know that you all have experienced this, where you read something that you've read before, and it just impacts you differently. So we're going to use this verse to transition from God, the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Holy Spirit. This will be our transitional verse. This is uh, Jesus in the garden. This is right before they come and arrest Him. And He is praying His heart out. So he lifts up his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. He is with God. I have manifested your name to the men who you have given me out of the world. Who is he talking about? To the disciples. He said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. I think he's saying they accepted your call. They joined him. Now they have known all these things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And they had, he's, he's saying, and he knows, they recognize and have accepted the fact that I am the Son of God. They recognize that I came from you. So now he's going to pray for them. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. And I was like, wow, I don't think I ever saw that. I don't pray for them. He's praying for his disciples right here. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in him. Now I am no longer in this world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keeping through your name those whom you are given to me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. This thing says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil ones. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Then in verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. And Jesus is praying to his Father about his disciples, and now he's praying for us. Because we have believed as a result of the disciples' words. He ends by saying, And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So he says that his word is going to be in them, and that he is going to be in them. Now how can he be in them if he's going to heaven? There's there's all kinds of scriptures I could have pointed to that point out the fact that the Holy Spirit, a live being, lives inside of us as believers. A lot of people don't that I've talked to don't fully understand how important the Holy Spirit is. They talk about God. People that don't even believe in Christ talk about God a lot of people talk about Christ and they recognize he's their savior and they've accepted him but they don't recognize that you have this gift just like he says I'm in them you have this gift inside of you the Holy Spirit it is so important the Holy Spirit was so important and it was part of the plan that Christ instructed his disciples he said, I've got to go so the Holy Spirit can come. That's one of the main reasons Christ left, is so the Holy Spirit could come. That's how important the being of the Holy Spirit is. How could anything be more important than Jesus? How could anything be more powerful than Jesus? I mean, just look at and read the miracles, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the dead were raised. Uh, miracle after miracle, Jesus performed when he was here. But he said he had to go so the Holy Spirit could come. He also said, the greater works than these, you're going to do. And when I read that, it's like, wow, that's 
how can that be? You know, I've never healed anybody. I never raised anybody from the dead. I've, I've never prayed for a blind person and maybe see sight. I've never caused a lame person to walk. But Jesus prayed for his disciples as we read, and he clearly expected them to go out and to do the works that he had done. And there's a lot of foundational scripture that point to the fact that they did go out and they did heal people. They did raise people. They did cause the blind to see and the lame to walk. Peter's shadow fell on people and they were healed. And I believe, and, and I know there's people that don't believe this, but I can't, and I've had people try to point to Scripture to tell me, oh, well, that's no longer there anymore. <laughs> that ended when such and such occurred. When the last disciple died, well, that ended. Or when Paul died, that ended. Or when we got our printed Scripture and then we had the Word of God and everybody had it, that ended. But I can't find any Scripture that's for that. What I can find is example after example of Scripture that says living inside of me is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside me and it lives inside every one of you because I know that you're all believers. And that Holy Spirit is there for a reason. It's not just an empty gun that we carry around in a holster and say, hey, I got a gun, but no bullets in it. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person, and He is there for a reason. A good, the best example I know of the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in Acts. So, in the first chapter of Acts, Christ appears to His disciples and he says, go into the city and wait. You go into the Spirit and wait. And what I have promised you, that's what he says. We can turn to the Scripture if you want. He says, what I have promised you. In fact, why don't we do that? We'll turn to... Um, it's in Acts chapter 1. Being assembled, it's on in chapter uh, verse four of Acts one, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." So this isn't some new thing. That he's springing on them at the last minute and says, Okay, I'm leaving. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit's coming. See ya. No, he's been talking to them about it. And he's been telling them about it. And now he's telling them, Hey, what I promised, you're going to get. 
and I'm going to heaven, and you go in Jerusalem and you wait. And they did. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. And the difference it made in who they were before and who they were after is clearly evidenced in the life of Peter. I mean, Peter went from, I think it's in John chapter 16, hiding in the dark, denying Christ three times. Could he have loved Christ anymore? Absolutely not. I mean, he loved him with all his heart. But he didn't have that grace. <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have that gift that he didn't, he was lacking in it. And that difference was Holy Spirit. The difference between overcoming his fear and standing up for Christ. And denying him to stand up in front of crowds of people that crucified Christ and telling them, hey, you guys killed the Son of God. You need to repent. I mean, to stand up in broad daylight to thousands and thousands of people and say that. When, what, 42 days, 43, 44 days previously, he couldn't even tell a servant girl in the dark that he was a follower of Christ. How do you go from in the dark, you can't even tell a girl, a young girl is what I really see, that you're a follower of Christ, to standing up in front of the people that actually crucified the Lord and calling them to test. And the difference between those two is the Holy Spirit. That is the difference, is the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in Greek, and Josh knows a lot of Greek, Greg does, others do, but that power that's talked about when you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the Greek word for that is dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. And what I want you to grasp right now is the fact that within you is dynamite. And just like dynamite sitting in a case that's never taken out and the fuse is never lit on it, that is what is happening with you if you have Holy Spirit in you and you don't use it. It's just worthless. It's like having a set of weights in your house and you never use them. And you just keep walking by and you're like, I've had this weight for years and I haven't got any stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Have you used them? So if you start using them, then you get stronger. And that's the difference between living a life as a Christian that is powerful and overcoming and fulfilling. Uh, just like if you lift weights, I didn't mean that you're going to succeed in everything you do. You're stronger and you can do more. You can do more than you could on your own. And with the Holy Spirit within us, when we exercise it, when we use it, that is when we are walking out the plan that God has for our life. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're all unique. We all have gifts and talents. But if you'll take this handout that's in front of you, you talk about the gift from God with life. 
Christ's gifts, salvation, grace, mercy. So I left that part out in my illustration where you have mercy on one side and grace on the other. Without it, without mercy and grace, how much peace do you have? You don't have any. But with mercy and with grace on either side, you can have peace in this. It's almost like peace is the of grace and mercy. But so we we as Christians and you know, we don't have all day, so we, but we could we could turn to scripture after scripture after scripture that would point to the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But this handout, I'm just going to flip through real quick, uh, and I'm not going to teach on it, but I want you to take it with you. Uh, what we are going to do is take a brief test in a minute. I think I was told it takes about 20 minutes. Um, so I want us to, we'll have time to take it and then close. But the, the person who put this uh, together talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he did, he did several divisions of them. Uh, he divided the gifts of the spirits into two groups on this first section the speaking gifts and the serving gifts speaking gifts being words of wisdom words of knowledge prophecy (coughs) interpretation of tongues apostles, teachers, encouragement leadership, evangelists pastors and teachers and serving gifts faith, healing, miraculous powers service, discernments Helps, administration, giving, mercy. There's no one in this room that doesn't have gifts that are on this page. Everybody has gifts. And we know all, and the scripture says, we may not all have the same gifts, but we all have gifts. And going back to my assumption I made earlier, as Christians, and assuming you're placed in this church, According to God's will, you have gifts, and you should be using your gifts in serving this church and the members of this church and outside of this church. By no means am I saying, okay, you can only serve God in this church. That's not it at all. But I didn't make this point earlier, and I want to make it now. When Jesus was on the earth, he was where he was at. I don't know of any scripture that says he was here and here and here and here and here and here all at the same time. But when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came and is now a part of us, then there's a part of us. There's a part of God, God, the Holy Spirit that's within us. So everywhere we are, He is. So that's speaks because it talks about in his prayer when those twelve go out and do the works his works and they share the words that he's given them to share all twelve of them are doing it at the same time and in many instances all twelve of them are in different places doing it at the same time so you can easily do the math where you calculate out if you saved a penny a day each day you added a penny how, how much money that would be. I'm sure y'all heard that illustration. It's, it's just a good point within our, what we're trying to talk about here, Christianity. Just you going out and reproducing your belief in someone and they reproducing that in someone 
that's how the church is started and that's how the church is going to continue to grow just as in the same place all the time we have very gifted talented pastor but he cannot be everywhere at the same time he can't we have elders that give so much of their time in serving our church but they can't there's there's three 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 leaders and their and their wives but they need our help to do the work that God has called this church to do they cannot all do it they can't those three men cannot do everything that God has planned for this church I fully believe that and I think for this church to fulfill the destiny that God has put forth for it to fill it's we need to know what our gifts and talents are and we need to use them I, I believe with all my heart if we did that the change that we would see in this church would be remarkable we would truly be a light on the hill